ಸ್ಥಾಪಕಾಧರ್ಮಸ್ವಧರ್ಮಸ್ವಿಣೆ ಅವತಾರವರಿಷ್ಠಾ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣಾಯತೆ ನಮಃ ಗುಡ್ ಮಾರ್ನಿಂಗ್ ಅಂಡ್ ನಮಸ್ತೆ ಎವ್ರಿಬಡಿ ಗುಡ್ ಟು ಸಿ ಯು ಟರ್ನ್ ಅಪ್ ಇನ್ ಸರ್ಚ್ ಲಾರ್ಜ್ ನಂಬರ್ಸ್ ಸೆಲೆಬ್ರೇಟ್ ದ ಬರ್ತ್ಡೇ ಆಫ್ ಶ್ರೀ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣ ತೋ ಇಟ್ ಈಸ್ ನಾಟ್ ದ ಬರ್ತ್ ಡೇ ಆಫ್ ಶ್ರೀ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣ ಟುಡೇ we've done it for convenience uh, it's actually on tuesday but nevertheless it turned out very well because it is a very auspicious day it is uh, shivaratri last night we celebrated shivaratri bill was just saying to me for me worshiping shiva and worshiping sri ramakrishna the same thing uh, i see that shiva himself is sri ramakrishna um so today i'm going to speak about the subject says the life and teachings of sri ramakrishna it is sort of generic we put it there i'm not going to speak about the life and teachings of sri ramakrishna <laughs> um no indeed we are actually going to go deeper than that deeper than the life and teachings of sri ramakrishna into who or what is sri ramakrishna that's what we're going to talk about today as americans would say get ready for a wild ride <laughs> one reason is that uh, um that the material i'm going to draw upon is from an extraordinary book written by an extraordinary spiritual seeker a veritable saint swami bhajanananda ji he is a vice president of the ramakrishna order now in belur math i won't say anything more about him because uh, i'll always do injustice whatever i i say about him those of you who know him they know him yeah. so he wrote this extraordinary book attend about 10 years ago called sri ramakrishna the light of the modern world and i'm going to draw from that draw upon that book uh, today the materials i'm going to put before you basically it's his meditation on sri ramakrishna um his lifelong meditation and the fruits of that meditation on sri ramakrishna he gave me a copy a personal copy my copy of that book was given by swami bhajanand ji himself when i came here to the west before that and in that copy he has written i still have that note he has written that i feel i did not write this book i feel sri ramakrishna himself wrote this book the the one year when i was writing this book i felt i was possessed by sri ramakrishna so this is the background what we are going to do today is who or what was sri ramakrishna and most of you will be thinking yeah i know he's going to tell us that sri ramakrishna was an avatar incarnation of god yes but what is an avatar and what is it to us what's it to me as a spiritual seeker that's what we're going to do yeah. investigate that and see how it impacts us as spiritual seekers what a tremendous resource it is for us what a tremendous support and strength it is for us first sri ramakrishna and most important i think sri ramakrishna is the giver of liberation is the giver of moksha there is a very beautiful verse in sanskrit there is a hymn on uh, sri ramakrishna called gadadhar ashtakam in that there is one verse 
which goes that the deity who resides in Belurmat, this is our main monastery in India, which was established by Swami Vivekananda, the deity who resides in Belurmat, meaning Sri Ramakrishna, um, who is the lord of moksha, the, the treasure called moksha, Ishwara, the lord who, who commands the treasure, who possesses the treasure called moksha, who is the first of gurus, who resides there specially for his disciples and the lineage of disciples which come through them. Through them. To that Gadadhara, I bow down. That Gadadhara is another name for Sri Ramakrishna. It's the name of Vishnu also. To that Gadadhara, I bow down, who is none other than the Supreme Brahman. Very beautiful Sanskrit, simple, beautiful Sanskrit. Shubha Beluda Mandira Sannihitam Nija Shishya Prashishya Visheshataram Shiva Moksha Dhaneshwara Madhi Gurum Shiva Moksha Dhaneshwara Madhi Gurum Pranamami Gadadhara Brahmaparam Pranamami Gadadhara Brahmaparam So here, Sri Ramakrishna is described as Ishvara, the Lord. But what is the wealth of this Ishvara? What is the power, the glory of this Lord? Shiva Moksha, Moksha. Moksha is liberation. Moksha, Mukti, uh, salvation, liberation, Nirvana. And this is auspicious. Shiva, one meaning of Shiva is auspicious. This most auspicious of things is Moksha. Freedom from samsara, freedom from bondage. And he is the lord of this. And he is Adi Guru, the first of gurus. We'll talk about that also a little later. And by the way, this, the line here says, uh, he is there, the lord is there in Belurmat. Now, God is everywhere. Why only in Belurmat? But specially, Sannitam, specially installed, residing in Belurmat. There's a very touching story of Sri Ramakrishna telling Swami Vivekananda, that wherever you take me, and wherever you keep, wherever you take me, I shall go there. Wherever you keep me, I shall stay there. And so, when the monastery was set up by Swami Vivekananda, and the day the formally it was <coughs> inaugurated, he took the container of with the ashes of Sri Ramakrishna's body. He took it on his head in a procession with songs and chanting and worship. He went and installed it there in Belurmat which where it is till this day and he prayed that master you had told me you had promised me that where I take you you will come and where I keep you you shall stay so here I keep you uh, for century and centuries and millennia to come reside here I pray to thee for the for the welfare and the benefit of humanity all over the world so he, he is there in Belurmat and for whom the next line says, Nija Shishya Prashishya Visheshataram, for everybody, but Visheshataram, especially for his disciples and their disciples. So I was a little worried because his disciples, that was at that time, you know, they, are this, they are these, um, the monastic and lay disciples, they are gone. Um, and their disciples also, uh, we have seen some of them, but they are also gone. What about us? We are on the next generation, you know, are we left out? So I asked one of my teachers, an Acharya, uh, I mean, grammatically, does it come in the, are we included? <laughs> you know, shishya prashishya. And he said, don't worry, you're included. 
we are all included. Those who come in the lineage, those who are uh, initiated or who are devoted, those who are devoted, those who, um, Sri Ramakrishna says, those who come here, this is their last birth. But what do you mean come here? And he explains that also. Those, he would say, those who like the teachings of this place. He would often, sometimes call himself this place, this, this, this thing, this place. Those who like the teachings here. You're attracted, you're pulled. So you're part of the lineage. And of course, those who are formally initiated into this lineage, they're of course part of the lineage. But what concerns us here is this giving moksha. He, he has the, that is his glory. That is the wealth that he has to share for us. Um, Swami Vivekananda proclaimed that, you know, somebody asked him, if God incarnates as a human being, how are we to recognize what differentiates such a person who is God incarnate from others? And Vivekananda gave the one criterion which would uh, distinguish an incarnation, an avatar, incarnation of God. Um, Not the blue Hollywood version. (laughs) Though some avatars are blue. (laughs) <laughs> Sri Krishna is blue too. So, what would distinguish an avatar, say, from a, a saint, a very spiritual person? How would you distinguish? And Swami Vivekananda says there is a one criterion, and that is he, he uses the word kapala mochana. And that's a very evocative term in um, Sanskrit and some Indian languages. It means the one, Vivekananda explains, the one who can save the people from their doom. Uh, who can change karma? So what does this mean? Saving us from our doom? Are we doomed? Um, is he referring to global warming or uh, chat GPT or AI? Or what is he referring to? <laughs> oh, the latest version of, uh, what's that? The Bing AI? It, it threatened to wipe all of us out. <laughs> and there's a petition I saw. Uh, scientists, there's a petition going around now that please sign it to shut down this AI. So if you can't shut this one down, then there's no chance of shutting down the ones which will come afterwards. <laughs> anyway, so what is he talking about? The doom? No. In, it's much worse than that. Uh, in that. It's a sense in which we are actually all doomed. By what? Nobody's fault. Our own fault. Our own karma. Here we have to take a little bit of a look at what is meant by the one who can remove karma, liberate us from karma. So the idea of karma is actions have consequences, causes have effects. What we have done in our past lives gives results in this life. Um, what does it, practically what does it mean for us? It means everything for us. What, con- what consists of our life today? Our the people we are with, how they are behaving with us, uh, the wealth or poverty we are in, the health or sickness we are in, uh, our age, our lifespan, the things which happen to us, all of it is it flows. Not maybe the particular details, but the general welfare and suffering, good and the bad, it flows from the ancient past. It's not random. It's not accidental. So this is the idea of of uh, karma. This is the most widely accepted idea in all Indian thought. All the very diverse schools of Hinduism. Very diverse. But one thing they agree upon is karma and reincarnation. By the way, there's a difference between incarnation and reincarnation. All right. So we reincarnate, but we are not incarnations of God. <laughs> so we reincarnate. That means we come again and again. There was this cartoon I saw. Uh, an American is telling a uh, uh, Hindu that... 
I am a born again Christian. And the Hindu is saying, I am a born again and again and again and again Hindu. <laughs> but it's born again in two different senses. Uh-huh. And this born again and again is actually a limitation, a prison house. What happens is that uh, all that we have done in our past existences uh, and different lives, that's all stored up as our karma. And that stored up karma is called sanchita. Sanchita literally means storehouse. Oh, by the way, not just um, Hinduism, Jainism, Buddhism. Imagine, the Buddhists don't agree with the Hindus on almost everything. Atma, we are, we are the eternal soul. No, there's no such thing as an Atma. God, we worship God, incarnation. No, there's no such thing as a God. <laughs> and yet we agree, Buddhists and Hindus, all of us agree on this karma. So, all of this accumulated karma, we have this huge storehouse of karma called Sanchita Karma. Uh, stored karma and from that stored karma a little bit is released released in the sense it is activated activated to give us this particular life each life each lifetime is um, the activation of a part of that stored up karma and that activated karma is called prarabdha prarabdha means which is fully begun or activated so that prarabdha karma right now which part of my karma is active Uh, my prarabdha. That's what has given me this birth, this set of parents, this kind of background and uh, health and or the lack of it and wealth or the lack of it, uh, various experiences in life. That's prarabdha karma. And this is what we are going through. It's It seriously locks us into a particular type of life and particular, you know, we are not entirely free. The existentialists were not totally right. That you can, you're not predetermined, you can choose what kind of existence you have, what you are. You exist before you incarnate yourself as a particular kind of person. That's a great idea, but it's not entirely true. There is a deep limitation set by our past karma. And that is one way in which samsara and bondage, bandha, bondage is understood in Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism as being locked in by my past karma. Alright, so where does this bring us? This past karma is also a great blockage for our spiritual progress. The reason why with all this Advaita, you know, non-dualism in Hinduism, Buddhism, whatever you call it, the meditation techniques, Patanjali Yoga, all of these powerful bhakti um, uh, methods, all of these are at our disposal and we are interested. But we don't seem to make much headway. We keep asking, why are so few people liberated? This is why. This is why. We are shackled by good and bad karma, both good karma and bad karma. Swami Vivekananda says, that um, in his poem he says, chains though of gold are not less strong to bind. So iron chains bind us, golden chains also bind us. Iron chains, bad karma, which produce suffering. Golden chains, good karma, which give us a nice life. Both bind us to this samsara. Here comes the role of God. There's only one who can set us free from karma. Who can set us free from debt? Who can forgive debt? The president, you know, President's Day is coming. So, debt forgiveness, who can redeem our debt. See, this is from a Hindu perspective, but the Christian perspective is also pretty much similar. And it's sort of central in, in Christianity. The redemption, the redeemer, the saver 
it's put in the it couched in the language of original sin but basically it's the same thing we are we are tied in so badly that we cannot liberate ourselves through our own works and this is mainstream catholic theology so that's why we need an incarnation of god who um, god can free us and god can forgive us our debts and god can free us from past karma so that we can walk on the path of spirituality and attain enlightenment and freedom from samsara and the incarnation of god most visibly can free us so that's the difference between say a great saint and an avatar a great saint can help us can inspire us can teach us can guide us but cannot change our karma even if they sometimes seem to it's only because they were empowered by god to do so but by their own power they cannot they are human beings like us far ahead of us spiritually but they are human beings they don't have power over karma but god has power over karma because one of the um definitions of god in hinduism is karmadhyaksha the president of our karma <laughs> who presides over karma so one who gives us the results of karma can also choose not to give us those results change those results or free us entirely from that karma um krishna says maybe the one most powerful verse at the very end of the bhagavad gita सर्वधर्मान परित्यज्य मामेकं शरणं व्रज अहं त्वा सर्वपापेभ्यो मोक्षयिष्यामि मा शुचः गिविंग अप ऑल अदर रिलीजियस रिचुअल्स टेक फुल रिफ्यूज इन मी इन मी अलोन कृष्ण सेस दिस इनकार्नेशन ऑफ गॉड व्हाट विल आई डू फॉर यू इफ यू होल्ड ऑन टू मी आई शैल सेट यू फ्री फ्रॉम पास्ट सिन्स फ्रॉम पास्ट सिन्स इंक्लूड्स यू नो फ्रॉम अ स्पिरिचुअल पर्सपेक्टिव गुड एंड बैड बोथ आर सिनफुल why the good and the bad both tie us down in this limited existence and krishna says i will free you entirely from all of that mahashucha do not grieve do not be sorrowful rejoice you will be set free thousands of years after that jesus christ jesus christ says another memorable line from the new testament come unto me all that ye all ye who labor and are heavy laden i shall set you free i shall give you rest so those i mean if it should not take it literally literally it sounds like all of you who are working very hard and uh, you know um, manhattan job a uh, lot of pressure to d- deliver work from home or work in the office it's all the same many people are grumbling work from home has become worse because we seem to be at the beck and call of uh, the office all day long and here jesus seems to be saying that come to me you can goof off now <laughs> i shall give you rest <clears throat> no we should look at it little more deeply heavy laden what is the burden the burden of all our ancient karma is upon us and we are completely helpless under it come to me your laboring means you are suffering under this burden from lifetime to lifetime come to me i shall relieve you of your burden and i shall set you free so the incarnation of god can do that sri ramakrishna says this need requires some explanation he says um, the avatar incarnation he says parashdanga parashdanga french territory now what it means is he remember he lived in colonial times in calcutta near calcutta in the temple garden of dakshineshwar uh, and there was a small french colony there called chandannagar in near calcutta 
And the rules of the game were that the British police, the colonial police were not allowed inside French territory. So if you are a freedom fighter or a revolutionary and you are running away from the police and the police are chasing you to uh, arrest you, well, you just have to cross over into Chandranagar. And the once you cross over, they can't catch you because they're not allowed to enter French territory. So this is the background. And Sri Ramakrishna says the incarnation is French territory. <laughs> In the sense that the, the karma cops, the police of karma, were out to catch you. The karma cops can, can't catch you there. You go scot-free if you take refuge in, in the incarnation. I mean, Pharashtanga. He, he said, avatar hachin Pharashtanga. The incarnation of God is uh, where you get freedom from karma. Uh, will it change my karma? Will I get scot-free? The Holy Mother says, if you take refuge, if you practice spiritual disciplines, she says, then the effect of karma is muted. See, the law of karma is very strict. Nabhuktam kshiyate karma janma shatakoti bhirapi The Mimamsaka rules, it says that without giving its results, without making you pay, without making you suffer, karma will not go away. Even in a million births. So it, it's going to come to us. And she says, however, if you take refuge in God and do spiritual practices, where, she says, a spear might have pierced you or you might have lost a leg, cut off a leg, you'll get a pinprick. That's the huge difference it'll, it'll make, the protection of God. Still have to pay, but much, much, much less. But that's not the point, that you pay less, um, you know, you get a discount on karma. No, that's not the point. That might be attractive, but the whole point is that this leads to moksha. It sets us free, it spiritualizes our lives and... It's not so that, uh, all right, so my sins have been forgiven, now I can make, commit more sins now. <laughs> not in that sense. In the sense that we can progress fast in spiritual life, which we were unable to do so earlier. So, this forgiveness of karma leads directly to moksha. This is the connection. Um, the incarnation of God is the giver of moksha of liberation, mukti, nirvana, what might be entirely too difficult when we, if we are left to our own devices, becomes entirely possible. Not by our own strength, but by the strength of the avatar. The uh, Sri Ramakrishna says the incarnation, you know what it's like. And he gave examples which were new and latest at that time, you know, in British India at that time, the steamship and the, and the railways. He says, look, it's like uh, the incarnation is like a uh, an steam engine which pulls along so many coaches. So it's it's like another coach, but it's different from the, all the other coaches. The other coaches can't move themselves and certainly can't pull anybody else. But this, this here is this one vehicle, this engine, which chugs along um, by itself and also can pull the whole train, so many. And then he says. The um, incarnation is like a steamship. Others, teachers, maybe like a little boat. You can cross across, uh, the teacher can go himself or maybe he can take you along. But a steamship uh, can take hundreds of people across the river, the big river, the Ganga, where he lived on the bank of the Ganga. Similarly, the incarnation can take us across the ocean of samsara to liberation. 
so the giver of moksha the breaker of the bondage of karma and of the giver of moksha freedom from samsara that's why sri ramakrishna the hymn which we sing to sri ramakrishna composed by swami vivekananda the evening hymn kandana bhava bandhana what's the first line kandana bhava bandhana it literally means the breaker of the bondage of bhava bhava means the becoming in samsara world being embodied sent forth into this world again and again and again repeating this cycle again and again the one who breaks this bondage khandana bhava bandhana uh, that's the disc- first thing that swami vivekananda says and notice in that hymn actually very interesting he never mentions sri ramakrishna at all the hymn which we sing every evening to sri ramakrishna nowhere is it mentioned you can apply to any incarnation of god so khandana bhava bandhana um all right so we get moksha liberation from sri ramakrishna but then um how by revealing to us the ultimate reality brahman the absolute reality our own in, our own inner reality uh, incarnation reveals gives us knowledge of our own self how does an incarnation do that so that brings us to the next we go deeper into this what exactly is an incarnation and what does it do for us an incarnation is a doorway to the absolute reality brahman ramanujacharya 1000 years ago the great teacher of vishishtadvaita vedanta he says what is the purpose of an incarnation we all know this we those who have read the bhagavad gita we say oh yes paritrana as a sadhu naam vinasha cha duskritam who rescues the good and uh, uh, destroys the wicked now that might it fits very well with the time of the gita where krishna and before him rama they fought against demons and all we don't see too much of that in later avatars you know the buddha or the christ or ramakrishna or chaitanya going out and fighting against the bad guys no ramanujacharya points out that there is a deeper esoteric purpose for an avatar yes uplifting religion reestablishing religion all that is there but especially for us those who are spiritual seekers those who want god realization enlightenment freedom especially for us what does the avatar incarnation do and ramanujacharya says aradhya roopa pradarshanartham presents before us a fresh new form for worship for devotion for love the incarnation see god and the different forms of god shiva we had shivaratri vishnu devi they are eternal they are there always there are different forms and names in which we worship god the incarnation comes historically so the incarnation is born and lives for a while in the human body and then the body also dies so the incarnation is in history so in history being born amidst amidst us in a particular form and that form is aradhya roopa he says a worship a form which you can which which you can worship which you can adore that form is presented before us aradhya roopa now what is that form what does it um, do for us sri ramakrishna he gives an example Uh, he says that uh, you know what an incarnation is like is like a big hole in a v- huge wall so you are walking along there is a huge wall 
and you don't know what's on the other side of the wall. Um, you know, tall brick wall. You don't know what's on the other side. On the other side is an infinite meadow, beautiful infinite meadow, but you don't see it. But then you come across this hole in the wall, and you can see through to the infinity beyond. And he says, Sri Ramakrishna says, that is the incarnation of God. Incarnation is an opening in this wall of Maya. Here in this world, as this human being, living our lives, we get a glimpse of the infinity. Uh, of, and that is enough to liberate us. And then Sri Ramakrishna goes further, says something mysterious. And he says, if the hole is large enough, you can pass through it and come back, go forth and come back. And why I say it's mysterious and incredible? Again, incredible um, echo you find in the New Testament. Jesus, 2000 years ago, he says, he doesn't say hole in the wall. He says, for I am the door and he who shall pass through me shall be saved. He goes in and comes back <laughs> and finds pasture. Finds pasture using the language of shepherds, finds fulfillment you know, for the first time, meaning and fulfillment in life. See, this hole in the wall or the door to infinity. See, how is the infinite revealed to us? Again, we refer to Ramanujacharya. Yes, the Shankara says the ultimate reality existence is existence, consciousness, bliss, and you are that. Tattva Masid Upanishads talk about it. Aham Brahmasmi. But that's not what we mean by being revealed because that's very hidden to us. It's, I know the, uh, the Upanishads are telling me, Advaita is telling me, you are that. You are not the body, not the mind. Chidananda Rupa Shivoham. But it's not something that's revealed to us. It's not something that we can see or hear or smell or taste or touch. It's not something that we can catch hold of. It's not something that even we can speak about or think. All the language that we use about the infinite, about the absolute, uh, it's not misleading, but it's not accurate. It, it fails to refer. In the language of the philosopher, it fails to refer. It can't point out. Then if I want it to be revealed to me, if I want God to be revealed to me, then comes Ramanujacharya and he says, God is revealed to us. How? That ultimate reality is revealed to us. How? As Narayana in Vaikuntha, as God in heaven. Poet says, God's in heaven and all's right with the world. <laughs> so God in heaven, yes, that concept, it's a beautiful concept. So Narayana, Vishnu is in Vaikuntha or Shiva in Kailasha. Uh, in a perfect abode, the deity resides. So how is that revealed to us? Well, at least we have words, we have a conception. And if you're a Hindu, you're allowed to have a form, an imagery, which is used to visualize. So it's in some way it is revealed to us. Well, that seems a little pretty far away. And um, entirely dependent on, on faith, you know. And it seems to be imagination. Well, Ramanujacharya says, by the grace of God, God is revealed more distinctly, intimately as Antaryami, as the inner indweller, the inner controller, this consciousness within us, the light which shines. Jyoti uh, Rajyoti Ujjalaridikandara. We sing every evening to Sri Ramakrishna. Light of lights illumining our hearts. What is that light of lights illumining our hearts? I never saw such a light. You are seeing it now. 
It's by that light that you see anything. It's by that light that we hear and um, we taste and smell and touch. And it's by that light that we speak and think. I'm talking about consciousness, awareness. So, God is revealed to us as the antaryami, the indwelling pure, pure uh, consciousness, witness consciousness. Even more so and more to the point, Ramanujacharya says, one more even greater sign of the grace of God is avatar. Once in a while, in history, God comes in the form, in a human form, or if you're Hindu, in multiple forms, and reveals himself, herself, itself to us as avatar, as Rama, as Krishna, and so on. And then um, Ramanujacharya adds two more. And he says that avatar also can have there's a special manifestation of an avatar which was only particularly for Krishna with the gopis. So where Krishna appeared to each gopi individually as a separate separate Krishna of her own. So that was uh, in, uh, a unique incident of the Ras Leela. And then Ramanujasari says there's a fifth way in, the, in which God's grace manifests itself for us is uh, the Archya avatar. So in a temple, if God is... Uh, installed the deity is installed ritualistically and worshipped properly and daily. So that also is a doorway to God. So the doorways are many and one of the most powerful doorways to the infinite is avatar. You see how this is constructed. What does avatar do for us? Makes You can have liberation without the avatar also, theoretically. But give it a spin, give it a try, you'll see how difficult it is. How tremendously difficult it is. So avatar, I will not say, is the only condition for moksha, but definitely is a sufficient condition and is uh, an enabler, is an enabler. How so? Now we have come to the second part of it, as the doorway to the infinite. Um, once Swami Vivekananda was uh, arguing with Girish Ghosh, and Swami Vivekananda, Narendranath at that time was saying, well, you can't know God. God is infinite. So by definition, you can't know God. Whatever you know is only part of it, is, is sort of a slice of God, you know. It's agnostic. That, that position. And when this was reported to Sri Ramakrishna, Sri Ramakrishna says, why do you have to know all of God? You cannot. That's true. But why do you have to know all of God? If I want to take a bath in the Ganga, I go down to the ghat there in front of Dakshineshwar, I take a bath in the Ganga and it's a true statement that I have taken the bath in the Ganga. Do I have to take a bath from Gangotri to the Bay of Bengal? No. You'll get, you'll get the flu if you try to do that. You take a bath in the Ganga there and that's as good as taking a bath. That is the t- taking bath in the Ganga. That's what we mean. So, if you know the avatar, you know God. If you know the incarnation, you know God. F- um, Philip was a disciple of Jesus. You might be thinking, why are so many Jesus references? Because I'm, the material I'm drawing from is Swami Bhajananji's material from that book. And he, was, he is particularly well-versed in Christian theology. So much so that in Bangalore, there's a theological college, a Christian theological college, which used to call him to, give, uh, to teach theology to the students there. <laughs> so he's this Hindu monk. So he, he is very well-versed. Beautiful uh, instances he draws from the uh, New Testament. So Philip was a disciple of, Sri, of, um, of Jesus and uh, he asks Jesus, well, Father in heaven, Father in heaven, all great, but 
why don't you show us the Father in heaven? That would settle everything. Just show us the Father in heaven. And Jesus' answer there is very interesting. He says, Philip, I have lived with you so long, and have you not known me? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Then why do you ask, show me the Father in heaven? He who has seen the Son has seen the Father. Who has seen the Avatar has seen God. Again, the doorway to the infinite. Um, how does that function practically in our lives? So we come to the next level, deeper, the third level. Remember the structure, giver of moksha. How? Because by revealing to us the ultimate reality. How does he reveal the ultimate reality? Because he is a doorway through Sri Ramakrishna, through the incarnation, we see the infinite. But how? Practically, in our lives, what's the method? How, how do we see? Do we sit and stare at the photo or what do we do? Um, there was this young person who wanted to become a monk. And he said, his mother scolded him, saying that, What? You're going to sit and look at three black and white photos all your life? <laughs> So now we come to the, the uh, teaching, the concept of the Ishta Devata, the chosen ideal. This is a, an esoteric teaching. This is common throughout Hinduism with something worth understanding. So what is the um, Ishta Devata? Ishta means chosen, the chosen ideal. As I said, Ramanuja said that it is a, an adorable form is revealed when an incarnation is manifested. And that adorable form becomes and Ishta Devata. Ishta Devata, chosen ideal, are many. So this is a peculiar idea of, and a very special idea of, God in Hinduism. It's, it's very important in today's world. According to Hinduism, God is infinite. And can be approached, worshipped, loved, uh, adored, in numerous forms and names. So, so one absolute reality, Brahman, existence, consciousness, place. But the same thing you can worship as uh, Shiva, as Kali, as Durga, as Vishnu, as Ganesha. And Shiva also, in so many varieties and forms and different uh, you know, places, each has its own what is called Mahatmya, uh, glory. So, innumerable forms. Uh, and uh, this new innumerable forms also includes the avatars. So Vishnu especially, Narayana, comes in avatars, incarnation in the human world. And those are also multiple. At different times in history, God comes as an incarnation. Gita, he has promised that I shall come as an incarnation. Whenever religion declines and irreligion prevails, I shall come to re-establish religion. So, the incarnation of God... Now, in all of these forms, they have a special potency, the special power... Same power to remove our karma and to liberate us and show us the infinite and liberate us. So this is the uh, ideal of the Ishta Devata. What, what is the ideal here? Yes, it is true that absolute reality can be worshipped in different names and forms. But, but, when you actually do sadhana, when you actually do practice, one needs to focus. One needs to bear down and focus. This focus is not possible if you have a multiplicity of ideals. 
All ideals are not for all of us. You might say that, but Sri Ramakrishna worshipped God in so many ways. But he was an incarnation. He came to teach us something particular. That all of these are valid paths to God realization. And notice, when he did worship, he didn't mix it all up. Kichuri. <laughs> no. When he worshipped Kali, he worshipped Kali with tremendous focus, excluding everything else. His practice of Islam. At that time, he removed all the pictures of the Hindu gods and goddesses from his room. He worshipped just like a Muslim for a few days. So the tremendous focus and being true to a particular tradition. That is the idea of the Ishta Devata. So for us, one Ishta is enough. As the Guru indicates and teaches us, so the Ishta Devata is a particular name and form of God which is your own. You know that the same God is in the, as the Ishta of other people. And there's no difference. There's no disrespect for uh, God in any form. Uh, and there's a great respect and worship. But you must focus in one place. The idea of the, the story, the parable. He to told us, the, Sri Ramakrishna gives us the parable of um, the man who was digging for water. So he went and started digging a well for water. And somebody told him, dig here, started digging. There are these people who can, they're water diviners, you know. They can tell you where there is water. I saw one of them in our ashram in India. We needed, a, it's a dry area called Jharkhand, and we needed water, uh, we needed a well. And this water diviner came along. He had this piece of wood, like a fork and one uh, staff. And that seems to pull him where there is water. Uh, so it's amazing. But when he did find, wherever he pointed and said, dig here, you, we found water, we found wells. It's a common phenomenon known in India, water diviners. Not just in India, in other countries also, you have heard of such people. It's some kind of sense they have, I don't know. Anyway, the funny story is this, this water diviner comes along and the Swami in charge of our ashram, he asks, so we need water, where is, uh, where do we dig for a well? And he says, I've already found it. Where? Right below where you are sitting, in your office, Swami. So to dig up your office, That's what, that was one well which was not dug because <laughs> Swami would have none of it. <laughs> but we found other places. So this man went to dig a well for water and uh, he started working. It's hard work. After some time he got exhausted. Somebody told him, dig there, it's easier. So he went and started digging there and then uh, he dug for water at the third place, at the fourth place. At the end of the day he had dug in six different places, found water nowhere, six shallow holes found water nowhere. If he had continued to dig in the first place, he might have found water. So the parable tells us that Ishta Devata is one where you focus. It gives us... So what the Ishta does for us is a tremendous personal involvement. So once I have an Ishta Devata, so if you go to our main monastery, Belurmar, or any of our ashrams here also, you will see it's all about Sri Ramakrishna. You see the Vedanta society, so are they always going on in logic and analysis and scripture? That's the outer side of it. There's an inner core where you'll find the monks and the devotees, they're all, they have an intense personal relationship with their Ishta, whether it's Sri Ramakrishna or Masharada or whoever, whatever the Ishta is. So it's all about Sri Ramakrishna. The ashram is centered around Sri Ramakrishna. The lives of the monks and devotees are centered around Sri Ramakrishna, around their Ishta. And when we work, we offer it to Sri Ramakrishna. When we worship, we offer it to Sri Ramakrishna. You'll find at the end of everything, Sri Ramakrishna Arpanamastu. Every ritual, 
Even the food that you uh, eat and drink, mentally you offer it to Sri Ramakrishna and then you eat. Everything is done. Schools, colleges, hospitals in India, spiritual teaching, everything is offered to Sri Ramakrishna. All action. Mentally our thought, our emotion is connected to Sri Ramakrishna. You might say, oh the Swami was so loving, I went to this monastery. So many people come back and say, that Swami was so loving, so affectionate. Don't be fooled, he is loving the Sri Ramakrishna in you. Not you the person. <laughs> so that sounds strange. It's only because we identify ourselves as a person. And that's, you know, the word, very word person means a mask. Persona, it means a mask. All of you have got masks already. <laughs> it's a mask upon a mask. So, it, uh, the Ishta allows us to establish a one-pointed, deeply personal, emotional connection with God. This is very important. This is how the avatar of functions. So you establish a connection with the Ishta. Alright, but how do you know Sri Ramakrishna is, can be an Ishta? How, is he, how do you know he's an avatar? He, he, he told us so. Uh, the famous, he told Swami Vivekananda, that the famous story is there. Jai Ram, Jai Krishna, Shai Daning, Ramakrishna. Who, he who was Rama, he who in ancient times was Krishna, is in this time Sri Ramak is Ramakrishna. Or sometimes he said is in this body Ramakrishna. Not just once. We have heard the recorded speeches there by Swami Abhedananda in Bengali. He gave a speech in 1936 and it was recorded. No thanks to us. It was All India Radio which recorded it at that time, 1936. And there he says in Bengali, how many times we have heard him say, Jai Ram, Jai Krishna, Shai Daning, Ramakrishna. We have it on his own words. We have it in the words of the Holy Mother of Vivekananda and many others who saw him and met him. He revealed his inner divinity. It's not that they recognized, but they, he revealed. So, he reveals that he is an incarnation of God. He is an avatar. And we establish a relationship of Ishta with him. Even more precisely, how does it function technically? What's the practice? The practice is called Ishta Mantra. I'll just touch upon this and move on because it's an esoteric thing. You need to learn it from your guru. So, in this lineage, if you are initiated... If you want Sri Ramakrishna or uh, Ma Sharada as your Ishta, the Guru initiates you and the Guru will give you an Ishta Mantra. And don't, some of you who are initiated looking uneasy. No, I'm not going to tell the Ishta Mantra in public, don't worry. Ramanujachari, <laughs> um, the famous story is there of his compassion. His Guru initiated him into the mantra of Narayana and said, repeat this. You will be liberated, you will go to Vaikuntha after death. But remember, never tell others. So he was curious, what happens if I tell others? They will be liberated, whoever hears it, but you will go to hell. <laughs> and Ramanuja, the first thing he did was, he ran straight to the tower and proclaimed it to the masses. Let me go to a hell thousand times, let all of you be liberated. So that was his heart. I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not taking... I'm not taking risks. So, but you, but I do, I can say this, uh, that I do strongly recommend it. We need all the help that we can have in our spiritual path. And so, Mantra Diksha, initiation, is very, very powerful. Extremely powerful. It's something that, if you say, is it technically 
essential? You can't have liberation, enlightenment without it? No. But it is practically essential? Yes. So practically it is essential. We need to have a guru and an initiation. So what's this mantra? This little bit I'll touch and move on. Usually the mantra will have three, three parts. One is, it's, this is common, Om will be there. This is common. I'm not revealing any secrets here. Everybody knows. Om is, you know, the uh, Yoga Sutra says, Tasya Vachaka Pranava. Just like we all have names, the name of God is Om. How that is so, there are many explanations. The best explanation, I think, is the Mandukya Upanishad, where Om, the meaning of Om is explained. If you want to know that, I recommend a talk which I gave about 10 years ago. Who am I? If you look up who am I, that's an explanation of Om, basically. That's the first part. And the last part is the name of the deity. So, for example, if Ramakrishna is your Ishta, the Guru will give you the name of Ramakrishna. If Sharada is your Ishta, or if uh, Vishnu, or Krishna, or Rama, or, uh, or indeed Jesus, or uh, whoever is your Ishta, the name of God, Ishwara, Saguna Brahman, or the name of an incarnation of God. So that will be the last part of the mantra, usually. And maybe sometimes Nama might be added, may not be added. But the last part is the name of the deity. In between is something interesting and the most secret part of the mantra, which is uh, called the Bija, the seed. This comes from um, Tantra, from Kashmir, Shaivism. There's a whole science to it. Again, not entirely essential, but usually it's there. Uh, and this is what connects. It usually stands for the Divine Mother, of, for, for Shakti. This is what shows how the absolute reality, which is there every anyway. Brahman is there, whether you are spiritual, not spiritual. Um, you are, uh, we are all ordinary sentient beings, jivas or your avatar. Uh, we are um, enlightened, not enlightened, whatever we are. Um, living being, not non-living being, whatever we are, the absolute reality Brahman is there, it shines forth as this entire universe. But this is not good enough for us. It's no use saying that you're Brahman, but uh, living an entirely miserable, terrible life and suffering endlessly. So we want to go out of this suffering. Even that terrible life and suffering is also mediated because of the presence of Brahman. And Brahman is there, that's why everything else is good and bad. But we want the good, we want the spiritual. So in that case, how does Brahman manifest as, as avatara, as God, as through Shakti, as the world also, through Shakti? So there is a word corresponding to that, and that is the esoteric or the, the really secret part of it. So this is the mantra which the uh, Guru gives to you. See, the, the Ishta, the incarnation, now you get incarnation in the form of the uh, picture in the form of books, in the form of the image worshipped in, uh, in, in the ashrams in Belurmat, as the installed urn of ashes there in these ways. But as the person physically is not there in front of us. So how do we get him directly in our lives? The mantra. Swami Tapasyanandaji of uh, revered memory, he was the vice president of our order many years ago. There are some here who are his disciples. He writes that when you have been given the Ishta Mantra, you have been given God in seed form. You have to cultivate it so that it manifests in your life. But you have already been given God. God is actually present with you now in the form of that mantra. So enough said. That is Ishta, Ishta Mantra. And that's how the incarnation becomes relevant, active in our lives. Uh, and very powerful, most powerful way for spiritual practice and liberation. 
incarnation. We should call it avatar yoga. I don't know if there's such a term, but avatar yoga. It's Professor Jack Hawley was here from Colombia a few years ago. He was a professor of uh, Hinduism. He was saying, hey, he is a pakkad, you know, like follower, devotee, scholar of Krishna, Vrindavan, Mathura. He said, that is mainstream Hinduism. Even Professor Edwin Bryant, who was here, who's a scholar of uh, Patanjali Yoga and all. He says, mainstream Hinduism is a worship of Rama, is a worship of Krishna. Professor Bryant, who was here, he said that um, in a train going from Delhi to Agra, or from Agra to Mathura, if you ask a person next to you, so uh, what do you think about Patanjali, Yoga Sutras of Patanjali? He'll say, what? <laughs> huh? Or rather he'll say, kya bola? <laughs> but if you ask, do you know Rama, do you know Krishna? Of course. Hmm. Of course. So, that Ishta, the avatar, that is mainstream. That is how it is. Uh, Hinduism is popularly understood. Um, Yoga Sutras, Brahma Sutras, Advaita Vedanta, for you, big people, elite. <laughs> the general masses, they hold on to Rama, Krishna, to Rama, Krishna, to the incarnation. Um, what differentiates the activities of reincarnation? So this is something additional. The core of what I wanted to say and what Swami Bhajananji has said there, I've already said down, the most important. I'll summarize at the end, but some additional information. What really distinguishes an incarnation from the rest of us, avatar from the rest of us, from the perspective of action, work? Um, Bhajananji quotes Khalil uh, Gibran, not Gibran, okay, because... I looked it up yesterday. <laughs> the Arabic pronunciation is Gibran. Um, so he says, work is love made manifest. Beautifully said, like all of Gibran. Work is love made manifest. There, Swami Bhajananji writes this remarkable sentence, single sentence, which ties in all of Vedantic thought. He says that it's not just that the love uh, it's not just, just the knowledge of this one existence which appears as all of us. It's just not, not, that, not, not just knowledge, but it is the basis for the love of all beings. That we are one existence, that's knowledge. But then that expresses itself as love. You love everybody because you feel a oneness with everybody. A oneness with everybody, everybody and everything, naturally. Because you see that they are one with you. And you are one with them. How? Not as body. Not even as person, mask. But as the one existence consciousness place, the one absolute, which is appearing as so many. So that knowledge, jnana, it becomes love. Because once you feel the oneness, it becomes love. It is expressed as love. Then that love is expressed as action. As Gibran says, uh, work is love made manifest. It must be in what we do, in what we give. Now how does this work differentiate an avatar from the rest of us? We all work. A few points here. I'll quickly say what Maharaj has written there. He says, we all work. First of all, our karma is we are propelled and bound by our karma. It's because of our past karma we are here today. And as we have been conditioned in this life and past lives, that's the way we keep acting and reacting in this world. Avatar is not like that. 
Avatara doesn't have a baggage of past karma. Avatara comes entirely out of freedom. In freedom the avatara comes, in freedom the avatara lives, and in the freedom the avatara goes. We are in bondage, we come, we live in bondage, and we are thrown out of this world in bondage. So this is one big difference, huge difference. Second, all our action is selfish. It's selfish. It's done for I, me, mine. And for avatar, completely selfless. Avatar needs nothing in this world. Our actions are desire prompted. That's why they are all selfish. The avatar's actions are desireless. See, even for a spiritual per person, um, God realization is a kind of a desire. It's a higher desire which liberates us from all worldly desires. So it's still a desire. But the avatar does not have that desire also. And even the enlightened person doesn't have that desire. We sing Shankaracharya, na dharmo na chartho na kamo na moksha. I desire neither wealth nor pleasure nor even um, the, the punya, the merit from dharma, not even moksha. Why? Of course, you might say that he's already got moksha, that's why he can brag about it. <laughs> so avatara is of course always, always liberated. Uh, so avatara has no uh, personal angle to action. That's the second thing. The third thing is, we act from ego. We always feel, I am the doer. How else? There's no other way. We, we cannot. Actually, we can, but it's not so obvious. That's what Krishna is trying to point out in the Bhagavad Gita. Avatara does not act from ego. It's a very subtle point. Um, what the avatara does is, you might say the avatara's ego has become the cosmic eye. This concept is not emphasized in, or it's not, not at all there actually in Advaita Vedanta. It's there in Kashmiri Shaivism. The term is Purnahangta. Purnahangta. Ahang, ego, I. The I sense which ties us to this one body mind. I am this much. The rest of it is you, other. But the Purnaham, the cosmic I, will say I. All of it. While being in that one body, the enlightened Shiva Yogi can say that I am all of this, the cosmic I. Avatar operates from that. Not that the avatar ever says I am all of this. In fact, the avatar seems to say just the opposite. Sri Ramakrishna would often say, not I, not I, but thou my mother. For him God was mother. So, you do all this. You are this world. Uh, I am just the chariot, you are the charioteer. I am the machine, you are the operator of the machine. I do as you make me do. I speak as you make me speak. I move as you make me move. That's equal to saying, I am all of it. Either I am none of it, God is all, or I am all of it. Both of them are the same thing. Both of them are beyond the other, beyond uh, division. Sri Ramakrishna gives the example of, in our, our case, the ego, this is subtle, powerful teachings. Huh? Our case, the ego is like a stick in flowing water. Water is actually not divided, but it clearly seems to be divided. If you hold a stick in flowing water, clearly seems to be divided, this side and that side. This much is I, the rest is not I, you, and that, this, this, that, you, they, all other. And this is I. Some of it may be connected to I, this is mine. Yeah. So I and mine. Something connected to this body. So it's like a stick held in water. This ego works like that. 
Now for the enlightened person he says, there is still an ego, because the enlightened person can also say I. But that ego, um, Sri Ramakrishna says, is like a line drawn in water. Water is flowing, if you draw a line in water, what happens to that line? It's not like a stick. A stick is pretty steady, solid. A line, as you draw it, it, it is wiped out. It continuously disappears. That I disappears continuously. Similarly, the ego of the enlightened person is like that, an appearance. Not binding, not dividing this and that. So, uh, and even more so for the, for the avatar. It's a clue to how we can become enlightened. So these are obstacles that are yes. <laughs> set up. <laughs> oh, really? So there are these forces. Oh no, they're all going to become enlightened. Let's disturb it. <laughs> Let's disturb them. <laughs> yeah. You s hear about it in, in the mystical traditions of all. See, they have been shamed into silence, the, the, <laughs> the forces. Sri Ramakrishna says the sense of ego is ignorance. In Advaita Vedanta we keep on saying that uh, ignor ignorance of our real self is the obstacle and the knowledge comes of the real self. I am Brahman, existence, consciousness, bliss. It op overcomes the ignorance and you realize you are enlightened, you are Brahman. But precisely the nature of this ignorance, Sri Ramakrishna locates it in the sense of ego, of I. And how you overcome this I, if we can just step back from it. There are two ways of overcoming. One is the negative way, which is used in Buddhism. We dissolve the I. You just see this empty. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. You deconstruct it. There's so many techniques and analysis done for that. And then what remains, remains. The Buddhists will either not say anything at all, or they will say it's the Buddha nature, or the Tathagata Garbha, or whatever it is. They will not say it's existence, consciousness, bliss, or God, or whatever. They won't say that. Or the other way is to expand the I to, to infinity, the cosmic I, uh, Purnahangta. The, or identify it with Brahman, existence, consciousness, bliss, Aham Brahmasmi. Practically the same thing. There's no more limited I left. That is dissolved. Anyway, I leave it at that. So this is what um, is done. This is how the avatara liberates us. How the avatara dis is distinguished from our eye, the action of the avatara. We operate from the individual eye. The avatara operates from the cosmic eye. We are going far afield from our discussion. But very subtle discussion. I really recommend that book. Um, Sri Ramakrishna, The Light of the Modern World. Amazing. So packed. I'm giving you just a few pages, all of this. Um, the th fourth difference between the action of the avatara and uh, us is that the avatara's action is very powerful. Our action, what we say, what we do, is like um, drawing, you know, making little sand castles in the face of the tide. The tide will come in and wipe out everything. So, we, we know it will all be wiped out, whatever we are doing. You may be a powerful speaker, writer, how little influence we have. But look at the influence of a Jesus, of a Buddha, of a Ramakrishna, we will see.
as we are seeing now millions across the world already accept him as an avatar and we'll see in the centuries to come as the contemporaries of ramakrishna fade into insignificance people will forget the 19th century and people of 19th, they'll become irrelevant over as the centuries go by but sri ramakrishna will stand taller and taller and taller uh, across the centuries and millennia so the influence of the avatar it is extremely powerful and not only powerful not only much more effective than us but also not limited by time see um, the greatest of uh, warriors and businessmen and um, politicians uh, they are gone when they die they are gone and they diminish over time but avatar lives across time even when the body perishes the avatar is present sri ramakrishna is present now so are the past avatars and their um, effect is Uh, felt across time we can connect to it it's not that see the avatar is not something historical uh, we can read the life and feel inspired by it no the avatar is a living living presence right now we can connect to the avatar here is something that bhajananji maharaj does not mention in that particular book this is an even deeper esoteric part of the avatar doctrine it comes from uh, vaishnava uh, shastras i'll just share it with you the question might be all right I'm sold on the avatar idea but I have a whole choice of avatars uh, so there is Rama and Krishna and Buddha and Jesus and and yes Ramakrishna also so why Ramakrishna particularly why are you emphasizing that I mean I understand why you Swami are emphasizing that because your whole uh, organization is built around Ramakrishna it's that lineage but then I might not be interested is there any particular reason why I, I should be interested in Ramakrishna uh, so here is it may sound a little sectarian but i must share this with you it is this this part of the vaishnava shastra dealing with avatar says that as the centuries go by and there is the avatar of past times becomes less and less relevant that's why there is a need for avatars to come in each um, age of humanity the gita also says this when religion declines and irreligion increases i incarnate myself embody myself forth which means multiple times again and again why again and again why no why won't if the avatar is living presence why won't the most ancient avatars suffice for us won't as society changes it won't suffice and the secret here is this you might be thinking get to the point that i can we can see if there's something else you want to say <laughs> yes there is something it's like this and a very senior monk once told me about this so um the vaishnavas say that when a new avatar comes all older avatars have already receded to what is called the causal body karana sharira they are there but they are in the causal body and the latest avatar remains in the subtle body until the next embodiment as an avatar what does that mean in the physical body very easy of access although you would have to go to dakshineshwar and ask where the mad brahmin of uh, the priest of kali lives to physically go and meet him but when the physical body goes how do we access the access is the subtle body sukshma sharira who is the avatar is present and can be accessed through prayer meditation prayer especially and when the avatar recedes further back into the causal body it requires a lot of sadhana to access the avatar is still available rama krishna jesus are all available but a lot of you know the great saints of our different mystical traditions imagine the effort they had to put in to access that so this is the difference make of it what you will
Um, so yes, the avatar is present across time. Last point I'll make and then I'll stop. I mentioned that the avatar is a spiritual teacher, Adi Guru. This is another important part of the teacher uh, of the idea of avatar. Vedanta is a knowledge tradition. So in a knowledge tradition, teacher is important. That's why you'll find in Vedanta, in generally in Hinduism, guru is very important. And of and God is the first guru, the real guru. Not only first, the real guru. Sri Ramakrishna said there is only one guru. Satchidananda is the guru. Brahman is the guru. God is the guru. And Avatar is incarnation of this real guru, the first guru, Adi Guru. Um, the Mundaka Upanishad, just to give an example, the Mundaka Upanishad says, Brahma Devanam Prathamasambhuva Vishwasya Karta Bhuvanasya Gopta Sabrahma Vidyam Sarva Vidya Pratishtham Atharvaya Jeshta Putraya Praha. So of all the gods, first Brahma appeared, you know, the Vishnu, God with capital G is there. And the first manifested divine being is Brahma who creates the universe. And what does Brahma do? Creates the universe. But specially, he teaches Brahma Vidya, the science of enlightenment, the science of the Atman, Brahman, religion, spirituality. To, in this particular uh, mantra, to Atharva, the first created, the first born. So Brahma Vidya, Sarva Vidya Pratishtam, the foundation and the first of all knowledge, the knowledge of, of God, knowledge of Atman, Brahman, he teaches. So God is the first teacher. But like everything, God, God is the creator of the universe, but actually who creates the universe? Brahma does. So God sort of subcontracts everything to Brahma. <laughs> but anyway, God is the first teacher. Krishna, incarnation, uh, he identifies with God and as the first teacher. Krishna himself says in the Bhagavad Gita, Imam vivasvate yogam proktavan aham avyayam vivasvan manave praha manur ikshvakave abravit. I gave this yoga, this ancient yoga, eternal yoga. So I am not inventing it. There is also something hidden here. Spiritual knowledge, um, spirituality is uh, always eternally present with God. God doesn't invent it. This eternal yoga, I taught it in this universe, in this cycle, to Aditya, Vivaswan, the sun god. Then Aditya taught it to Manu. Manu taught it to Ikshvaku, the first of the royal sages. So like a lineage is established. But it shows God is the first guru. Not only God is the first guru, God, an incarnation, establishes a lineage of gurus. This is what Bhajananji Maharaj points out. What does the incarnation do and what did Sri Ramakrishna do? He starts a fresh lineage, a freshly empowered, powerful lineage of gurus. That same Mundaka Upanishad goes on to say, So Brahma taught Atharvan. So what? Atharvaneyang pravadeta Brahma Atharvatam purovachangire Brahma vidyam Sabharadvajaya satyavahaya praha Bharadvaja angirase paravaram Lineage of Gurus. What Brahma gave to Atharva? Atharva gave to Angira. Angira gave to um, uh, uh, you know, uh, Bharadvaja. Bharadvaja Satyavaha. Satyavaha gave to uh, Angiras. And then what happened? The Mundaka Upanishad starts in this way. Shauna Kohavai Mahashalo. We turn up next. Mm -hmm. Our representative is this, this guy. Thousands of years, uh, years ago, a guy called Shaunaka. Shauna Kohavai Mahashalo. He was well-to-do. 
lived in Manhattan probably. Angirasam vidivadupasanna papracha, angirasam vidivadupasanna papracha, kasminnu bhagavo vigyate, sarvamidam vigyatam bhavati iti. He approached one of these gurus, angiras, in the proper ritualistic manner and asked. See, he asked a question. What was the question? Sir, revered sir, what is that by knowing which everything is known? We will go, we know, we know, Brahman, Atman, God. Yes, that's true, but we are we're dealing with words. <laughs> so then the whole Upanishad starts when the Guru teaches the disciple. So God is the first teacher, the incarnation is the establisher of the lineage of Gurus and the Gurus transmit the knowledge down from them to the next generation, some of whom become Gurus, but some of whom are just plain Joes like us. So we get the benefit from the Gurus. Here we have the lineage of Gurus, Sri Ramakrishna. Masharada, they transmitted to uh, Vivekananda and Brahmananda and Shivananda and they transmitted to their disciples who transmitted to us. Here there are some who are um, disciples of Pavitranandji, here itself, uh, some who are disciples of Tathagatananji and so on. So how would the Upanishad say? The Upanishad would say that Sri Ramakrishna, he mm, taught uh, Brahmananda and Brahmananda passed it down to Pavitrananda and Pavitrananda passed it down to you. Or Sri Ramakrishna, he um, awakened, I don't see he taught it to the Holy Mother, but he awakened it in the Holy Mother and she taught it to, passed it down to Virajananda and Virajananda ji passed it down to Tathagatananda and Tathagatananda passed it down to you. So this is the Upanishadic uh, way of putting it, the lineage of gurus. Uh, this is another thing that the avatara does. And there is some more to it, but the avatara as the dispeller of doubts. Swami Vivekananda called Sri Ramakrishna, Samshaya Rakshasha Nasha Mahastram, the great arrow, the weapon which destroys the demon of doubt. Important today. Uh, there, today, if you say, I want to believe in God and God will rescue me, and I heard this long talk about avataras and all, uh, what will Richard Dawkins say to you? What will Christopher Hitchens, bless his soul, he's passed on. Dawkins and Hitchens and Sam Harris and, you know, the great atheists. You'll have to contend with them in this day and age. If you want to believe in God. I had this dialogue with Sam Harris a few days ago. And I said to him, so those who want to believe in God, they'll have to face you. <laughs> they have to get through you to get to God. You know, I put it in some other words, but he, he took it well. He burst out laughing. <laughs> yes. And that, that, um, that sharp atheistic critique, it helps, especially in Vedanta or say something like Buddhism, it clears your mind. Um, and by the way, the Advaitic approach or the Buddhist, especially Tibetan Buddhist approach, it survives all these atheistic critics. In fact, Sam Harris himself is a practitioner of Advaita and Tibetan Buddhism. Um, but yes, in general, this is an age of doubt, of skepticism. It's very difficult to seriously believe in God and hold on to God and avatara and proceed this day and age. So the avatara comes as a destroyer of doubt, as a powerful demonstration of the truths of religion to us. Doubt about the existence of God, doubt about the possibility of God realization, doubt about the validity of spiritual experience, doubt about scripture. All of these doubts are destroyed by this tremendously powerful weapon, weapon called Sri Ramakrishna. Samshaya Rakshasha Nasha Mahastram, 
the, the great astra, the weapon, the arrow which destroys the demon of doubt. Um, just a few days ago I was talking about Tripurasura, the demons who lived in the three cities and they were destroyed by an arrow shot by Shiva. And the Shiva Mahimnas Dottar actually says, what was the arrow if you remember? Vishnu became the arrow. Vishnu, whose avatar is Sri Ramakrishna, <laughs> became the arrow. Is the arrow which destroys the demon of doubt. I pray to Sri Ramakrishna, to the Holy Mother Sarada Devi, to Swami Vivekananda, to all the great mystics and avatars and saints and sages throughout the ages to bless all of us, to purify our hearts, to purify us from our bad karma, to liberate us from samsara, give us the knowledge, reveal the truth to be the door to the infinity which they have promised to be for us. And strong recommendation, if you have not been initiated, do consider it uh, for the future. Those who have been initiated, know what great treasure we have received as the mantra. May they bless all of us. May our lives be blessed. May we be blessed. May we become a blessing for others around us. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Japanamastu